Welcome to Beyond Blathers, the podcast where we dive deeper into the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. I'm Sophia Osborne. And I'm Olivia DeBersier. And if you want to support the show, check out our merch store over on Etsy at etsy.com shop slash beyondblathers. So this is part two of our three-part series on ants. And if you didn't catch last week's episode, you should go check that out now because... Like any good trilogy, this part two is going to build off of part one, <laughs> and Olivia put a lot of work into part one, and it's just very fun. So yeah, go go listen to that if you haven't yet, and then meet us back here, because we're going to get into more crazy stuff. Oh, yeah. And you know, Sophia, like I, I honestly can't wait to tell you my favorite fact that I have, so I'm going to tell you right now. Did you know that ants don't get coronavirus? No, I didn't, but I thought most things don't. I thought just cats get it. Well, you know, they just have the antibodies. Oh. <laughs> oh, I feel like I like ruined your joke. <laughs> I kind of thought you would. It's okay. I was expecting it because I didn't prep you. I didn't I didn't say I was going to tell a joke because I never tell jokes. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like I probably <laughs> did know that they don't get it. Uh, oh, I love it. I just saw I saw that pun and I was like, "Mm, I think I have to include that. (laughs) Thank you. So moving on (laughs) from (laughs) Sophia ruining my joke. Uh, (laughs) Last week, (laughs) last week we did, yeah, leafcutter ants, ant communication, as well as we talked about roles in the colony. But today we're going to get like a little darker. It's the sequel. Things are getting a little bit more intense. So I'm calling this episode Ants Part 2 the resistance. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> this week we're gonna love it. <laughs> we're gonna talk a bit about um, the infamous army ants. We're going to talk about slave maker ants, parasites, honeypot ants, hell ants, all kinds of weird and gross stuff. But the kind of gross where you really can't stop listening. I hope so. Just like that that intrigue. Yeah, I'm so excited. And I really feel like, you know, like part two in a trilogy is just always like a very interesting installment. I usually prefer the second, the second movie. I'm trying to think of trilogies like second Hunger Games, Catching Fire. That was my favorite. Mm -hmm. I had another one in mind. Oh, Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I'm more of like a, you know, those like YA rom-com trilogies. And then in the second one. That's usually when they, like, introduce, like, a love triangle. Yeah, like, they're happily ever after, but then a new person comes in, like, their childhood friend. Yeah. And they're like, ooh. (laughs) It's like a, like, the nice, safe guy they should want to be with, who's just objectively better in, like, every way, but the connection with the first guy was just so strong, you know? Yeah. Yeah, the sort of threat to the relationship. Well, I'm not sure we'll have that YA element in this episode, but maybe next <laughs> episode. This one's a little bit mature. more like, yeah, it's a little bit more hardcore, a little bit more Game of Thrones, a little less um, to all the boys I loved before. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes, fair warning on that one. I'm excited. Well, we can actually just dive straight into it because we already heard what Blathers had to yeah. say about Ants last episode, and it was very short and sweet, and there's nothing he wants to add, I guess. <laughs> guess so. 
So I guess to start off and sort of tie it into last episode, you mentioned that ants go to war. And could you talk more about why they actually do that? Yeah, I mean, the main... The only reason I could really find was ants will fight when they're competing for territory or resources, which is kind of obvious. Like, humans do that, too, for the most part. (laughs) Of everything I gathered from the research I did, it sounds like these ant battles are extremely intense and deadly for hundreds, if not thousands of ants. So it's it's not ideal for them. As we mentioned last episode, these are also usually the oldest ants. The ant colony will send sort of like the older and frailer ants to war. (laughs) Um, Contrary to what you'd expect, just because they're sort of the ones that they can afford to lose. So many ant species will carry the enemies they've killed in battle back to their nests to eat because, you know, reduce, reuse, recycle, no waste. (laughs) And in some cases, ants will even put on an elaborate faux battle distraction as like part of their strategic warfare. And this is just so interesting for a couple of reasons. One, the ants that do this are called honeypot ants. And I just have to quickly talk about honeypot ants in general because they're really crazy. So they live in very arid areas like desert, very dry places They collect nectar from plants to survive in this very barren terrain. But instead of, say, bees, which will store their nectar in honeycomb, these ants store it in, like, they're the other ants, their siblings. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So as workers collect nectar and even the juices of insect prey, they come back to the colony where they regurgitate the fluids into a cast of worker ants called the repletes. The repletes then start to quite literally inflate with the fluids, with this like nutritious nectar and bug punch. Pictures of these repletes are amazing. They really do look like an ant that got like a big piece of round amber or like an Avengers Infinity Stone like stuck on their butt. Like it's just (laughs) like it's so crazy. They, they, They have this massive, massive golden reservoir. Like it's very, they're well named for for being like a honeypot ant, because that's what it looks like. And these ants are effectively living wine barrels. They just like hang off the ceiling in the nest until the dry season when hungry and thirsty workers come to them and they'll like tickle their antenna, which prompts them to regurgitate the nectar into their sister's mouths. Oh my gosh. I said it last week, but like, this is just so dystopian, like, If you told me that this was, like, a plotline in Divergent or something, I would believe you. Like, you get (laughs) sorted into your groups and, like, oops, like, you're a replete and now you (laughs) have to have this big nectar sack and throw up into (laughs) other people's mouths. Oh, it's, it's really intense. But, I mean, like I said, the craziness doesn't stop there. These ants are kind of tricksters. Food is really hard to find in the desert. So when they come across it, they don't want other ants finding it and going to war over this resource. So what they'll do is they'll send soldier ants to competing colonies to distract them by competing in strength contests while their like sneaky sisters rush off to collect as much nectar as possible before being noticed. 
it really reminded me of like <laughs> the part in Bugs Life where the circus bugs try to pretend to be great warriors. Like it's very like theatrical and they're like, look over here, nothing happening behind us. <laughs> but these honeypot ants have an enemy, even cleverer ants, if that's a word, more clever, whatever it's late. Cleverer. Cleverer <laughs> ants. <laughs> I love that. Um, and these ants are called Conomerma bicolor ants. They will, w- when they find a good source of food, they send their armies to honeypot nests and begin like throwing rocks into the entrance of the nest. That way they distract the honeypot ants as they try to clear away the rock slide. Meanwhile, they're like stealing all this food like from nearby. Wow. It's so sneaky. They're just like, (laughs) like destroying their house. There's a lot of like geopolitical maneuvering going on. Yeah, these are like literal war strategies. Yeah, it's so interesting. And then you also mentioned that some ants take slaves. Yeah, so this behavior probably started because many ants will invade other nests where they carry the inhabitants back as prey. But this behavior, it's not really like slavery the way we as humans think of slavery. It's maybe more accurately described as the capture and domestication of another species. But for consistency with the terminology in scientific literature, we'll call it slave making. There's a lot of ant species that have some kind of slave making behavior, and many of them occur in temperate regions across the world. Even the honeypot ants, which I mentioned before, will do this. So the instinct of these species is to raid other colonies of similar ant species, sometimes even members of their own species. The most common form of slave making is the kidnapping of ant broods. So in the case of the Amazonian genus Polygyrus, the slave maker ants will send sentries into the nest to scout the nest, and then they'll leave like a chemical scent trail out of the nest. This scent trail shows raiders where to go when they attack the nest so they don't have to be kind of fumbling around to find the entrance. So when the raid happens, these columns of ants will attack side by side and they'll be running at three centimeters per second, which sounds underwhelming, but... If they were human-sized soldiers, they would be running at 26 kilometers an hour. So that's kind of like a terrifying (laughs) thought. Yeah. They're moving really fast. And these soldiers will ruthlessly kill every worker and the queen in the colony with these sharp jaws and they'll steal the brood. Back at the invading ant nest, they then raise these broods, these sort of kidnapped broods, to become workers in their colony. And honeypot ants do this to their own species. But in addition to stealing larvae, they will also steal the honeypots because, Mm. you know, waste not. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's intense. Like they take everything. Most species of slave making ants aren't quite so ferocious. Some will invade an ant colony by releasing a hormone scent. And as they invade, this scent just like instills chaos in the victim colony. And in the chaos, they pillage the larvae and resources of the nest. So they don't necessarily kill everyone there, but they'll like instill just like, like that scene in the office where uh, Dwight starts a fire and everyone just starts panicking. Like that's what I imagine. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's intense. Yeah, this sounds so intense. And like it, I would watch this as... A show like like I want like Meerkat Manor. I was but just ants. thinking that I was like Meerkat yeah. Manor. I want like Ant Game of Ant Thrones, 
you know? There's got to be a pun there. I'm just thinking Napoleon. That's the only thing I can think of. <laughs> Napoleon. <laughs> just, just that. Nothing else. <laughs> oh. Anyway, yeah, there, there needs to be a show. There's... There's so much content there. I mean, there's a yeah. YouTube channel channel called Ants Canada that I started watching when I was researching ants. And there's a lot of videos on there. So if anyone needs ant content, this this dude has like a bazillion ant colonies. And I don't know how you can possibly manage that many ant colonies. Because I remember at the museum, we had one tiny little colony and we would like just trying to get like food out of there, like rotted fruit and stuff to replace it was super difficult because there'd be so many ants crawling all over it. And I, I just don't think I could deal with that. Yeah, I I prefer to admire from afar <laughs> ants. <laughs> yeah, like in the wild, they're okay. I just don't want them in my house. Yeah. Like intentionally, that's too many. Anyway, we should get back to the kidnapped ant larva. Um. <laughs> yeah, what actually like happens to them that they just kind of become like Stockholm syndromed into the new colony and like get a new role yeah they kind of do like the they grow up in the invaders nest they acquire the colony smell and they're accepted as workers in the new colony they may even join in on invading parties in the future But this is crazy. So these ants aren't always completely submissive to their new rulers. In slave maker colonies of Proto-Magnathus americanus, they kidnap ants in the genus Temnothorax. So studies have shown that as Temnothorax larvae reach adulthood, they can actually start killing Proto-Magnathus's brood. They're so effective at like actively murdering or simply neglecting the brood that they are supposed to be caring for that they can kill about two thirds of the nest's brood. And this is crazy because like they were brought up in this colony, but they still know. They're just like, this is not my home. <laughs> they kill the ant They are the resistance. <laughs> they are the resistance. Exactly. Wow. It's incredible. Like I just... Man, ants. I mean, in another case of social parasitism, an invading colony will come in and create this sort of like coup d'etat in which they instate their own queen as head of the invaded colony. And then the host ant colony like operates as usual with this alien queen and her brood just sort of mooching off all the hard work of like this working ant colony that they invaded and that queen and the invaders like don't do anything at all. So they just like come on in. They're like, we live here now. Uh, You can keep doing your work and also feeding us. And so you also mentioned in the intro that there are army ants. Is that like its own group of ants or just it sounds like a lot of ants are into warfare. (laughs) Yes, a lot of them are. And honestly, the army ants, like the way they got their name is less because they had sort of like warring behavior, or I'm sure, I'm sure many of the species do, but army ants are sort of a group of ants that have some kind of legionary behavior. So they will, they aren't the kind of ants that will like settle down in one spot, they move. So, and they have a pretty bad reputation from their cameos in many films. I even rewatched part of Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull for research. So, (laughs) just because I remembered they were in that movie. And I haven't seen it since I was a kid. But I couldn't remember why. So I like rewatched a whole section 
like the longest car chase ever. I like started this car chase and I was expecting the ants to come in. And it was like 10 minutes, 15 minutes before the ants even showed up. And honestly, guys, that movie is whack. Like... like finding it entertaining but my parents hated it but you know I was like 10 when I saw it I'm re-watching it it's just such a it's not a it's not a good Indiana Jones movie it's like a very corny ugh anyway going back to the <laughs> ants there's like this ocean of army ants in here and at one point like Kate Blanchett ends up hanging from a tree and these army ants are climbing up on each other in this like ant tower to reach her feet and then to top it all off, these army ants end up pulling one of the Russian guys into the their like colony in the ground, um, and like asphyxiating him. <laughs> like, oh my! <laughs> it's very intense. Uh, I do recommend watching it for education, for research. It's just so interesting, <laughs> but unsurprisingly, not very accurate to actual army ants. So, like I said before, army ants, big group. The name itself doesn't actually refer to a specific taxonomic group of ants. Rather, it refers to many genera of ants who exhibit a kind of legionary behavior um, in which they go on these raids. But then they also have some sedentary periods where they kind of settle down. Many ant groups have evolved this behavior independently of each other over time. So this isn't just a behavior that evolved once and exists in a single group of similar species, which I think is kind of cool. Like, it, it obviously is a successful adaptation. But today we'll mostly be sharing facts that apply to the most famous of the army ants, Aside and Burcelli. Just a little heads up on that, because there is quite a bit of variation within the army ants. But in general, army ants don't have a permanent nest. They're moving around way too often to build one. Instead, they will sort of make these temporary nests out of themselves. And they do this by stringing themselves together into this sort of crochet blanket made of ants. It looks a lot like in the movie how they try to attack Kate Blanchett by like stacking up on top of each other and winding their legs together into this like barrel of monkeys style ladder. They create this like writhing mass. It's really cool. And so this nest shape that they create out of their own bodies, it's called a bivouac. So fancy weird word, bivouac. And I mean, if you're going to be moving around a lot, it's a great idea. There's no need to look for nest building supplies, no need to spend energy digging a new nest every month. And there can be between 100,000 to 700,000 ants in each colony. So that's more than enough to build a proper home. So here they are in their bivouac during a stationary period. So at this time, their queen is laying upwards of 100,000 to 300,000 eggs while workers are just kind of hanging out and occasionally doing some light foraging for food. But the queen is so giant that she cannot move without help. Um, it reminds me of like Baron Harkonnen in Dune, if you've seen that movie. <laughs> like the guy is so big, he moves by like, technology. Anyway, I'm like making a lot of movie references today. I have done nothing but watch movies, apparently. <laughs> this is a pop culture <laughs> podcast now. Like even when it's time for a young army ant queen to mate, she's one of those ants that just emanates pheromones so males come to her. 
So she's like really achieved maximum laziness, but also props to her because she's going to be exhausted after laying 300,000 eggs every month. So she shouldn't have to go and fly and find mates. It's too much of a pain. So during the stationary period, the queen's eggs will hatch into larvae within about 20 days. Once the stationary period is done, the bivouac starts to get like a little feisty. And then they start their nomadic period, which lasts 15 days. During this period, the larvae and the queen, they'll all be carried away by the worker ants. And when they're ready to pupate, the ants will re-enter the stationary period for the young to pupate and become adults. And they'll just kind of keep doing this over and over again. What's unique to Isaid and Bercelli army ants is that they have four castes. So there's, or like four worker ant castes. There's these really fearsome looking soldier ants with these fish hook like mandibles. And they are the ones who protect the whole colony. They're sort of patrolling on the, on the edges. And then there's two smaller worker castes who bring small prey back to the bivouac or to the other ants in the raid to eat. And then there's the very unique sub majors, which is a cast that other army ants don't seem to have. These sub majors have massive jaws and extra long legs that make them look very spidery. And these ladies will use their large jaws to cut up and carry back prey that's normally too large for normal ants to carry, which makes them like particularly good predators because they can have a huge variety of prey. Wow, this is amazing. And like, is there a specific cast that are like the ants that make up the outside of the nest? Or do they like rotate through that? Do you know? I I get the impression they kind of rotate. Like I think... It's probably, I would imagine, not the soldiers, but everyone else would probably rotate out. I would think, based on what we learned about the last episode, that the older ants might be on the edge because they're more expendable. But that's just a guess. I also can imagine a lot of animals are wanting to go and, like, mess around with a bivouac. Yeah. It sounds like kind of a bad idea. Like, let me go touch this massive, like, (laughs) basketball-sized, writhing mass of insects. (laughs) Just not a good idea. (laughs) That's really such a cool adaptation. Yeah, I mean, you gotta, I I encourage people to go Google bivouac, sound it out best you can, Uh, or like (laughs) army ant nest or something. You'll you'll see it um, and see what it looks like because it's really cool. But even cooler is this nomadic period. This is where they get their name from. The ants will begin to stream away from the bivouac in this large fan-like shape. It's going to be evolving and moving forward. The line of ants can be up to 200 meters in length, depending on the size of the colony, which is unbelievable. And it'll be trudging forward at a very speedy two inches a second, which again, the stats for this episode don't sound that crazy. But like, if hundreds of thousands of ants were moving toward me at two inches a second... I'd be a little uncomfortable. I'd probably mm-hmm. leave. <laughs> like, it's a little disconcerting. And apparently you can literally hear the ants approaching, in part because you can hear their little feet on the leaf litter, but you can also hear all kinds of animals running away from them and all of these other animals being drawn towards them like birds. Right. Where are these ants found? I definitely imagine that I will not be seeing them here in Vancouver, or I hope not. Uh, yeah, so they can be found all over the world, really, in sort of like the warmer tropics, subtropics. They can be found in the southern states, but are usually found in like Central America, South America, Africa, and parts of Asia. So warm, warm places, generally. Right. 
And are they able to take down like pretty big prey if they're moving in this big formation? Uh, not, not really. Their main prey are other ants and invertebrates. They'll eat anything small enough for them to overpower. Um, and that, that can include cockroaches, beetles, spiders, grasshoppers, sometimes even scorpions and tarantulas. And their rates can even kill like nestling birds, reptile snakes, just a lot of small stuff that can't get out of the way fast enough. It's possible they can kill even larger mammals or just animals in general if that animal was unable to get away, maybe they were injured or something. And they would probably get, like, they wouldn't be, like, torn apart or anything, but they would probably be killed by, like, asphyxiation or stinging. So, kind of unpleasant. Yeah. <laughs> when a prey is captured, the ant will eat some of it and then sort of pass it along to the back of the pack. They eat so much that they really can't stay in one place for long before they've run out of food. They, they're kind of, like, I think E.O. Wilson called them, like, a scythe in the landscape. They really just motor through it all. Even when they encounter like a crevasse or a stream or some kind of obstacle, the ants that are in the front will create like a bridge out of their bodies for th their thousands of sisters to climb over. It's amazing. So they're just like, ah, massive like cliff here. Better start making a bridge. And they just like Lego it up. That's so cool. Which is amazing. And What's especially interesting about army ants is not the army ants themselves, but all of the creatures associated with these huge colonies. So above the army ants, you'll have all these birds called ant birds. They hang out in front of the army ants where they'll like swoop down to capture the ants fleeing prey. They usually don't eat the ants themselves, but sometimes if like an ant is caught on their food, then I guess they'll eat the ant too. But yeah, contrary to their name, ant birds don't usually eat ants, but they're associated with them. As are these beautiful glasswing butterflies that come around because they eat the ant bird dung. So that's cool. You've got butterflies, you've got birds. And then with the ants themselves, you have this huge variety of basically like imposters. These are social parasites that are hanging out with the ants um, and taking advantage of the colony. Some of these social parasites include some of the smallest beetles in the world. These tiny beetles hop from ant to ant on the ant army's raid, and they feed by licking an oily substance that ants produce off their bodies. Other interesting beetles to note are the beetles that have evolved to look like ants and smell like ants so they won't be attacked, and then they can kind of like hang around these raids and pick off any food the army ants leave behind. There are even hitchhiking beetles who will hop onto the ants and then they'll wrap themselves around the ant's waist and pretend to be like a second ant abdomen. And they just sort of camouflage. <laughs> and they just oh look like gosh. this weird growth. And they just sort of hang off there and mooch off whatever the worker ant is eating. And then, of course, there's the mites. And there's all kinds of mites that have evolved special adaptations to live on army ants. Some will cling on like somewhere on the ant's body and they're so smooth and tight to the body of the ant that they're impossible to scratch off. Some will lock around to the ant's antenna like bobby pins. There's ones which mimic the appearance of ant larvae and are carried along with the ants like little changeling babies. A type of ant mite will be attached to ant's mandibles. Another will attach to the ant's eye. <laughs> and this one's crazy. There's one that will eat the ant's foot 
and then attach itself to where the foot used to be and act like a replacement foot while it sucks the ant's blood. My jaw just like dropped at that. (laughs) And it's crazy. There's like videos of this thing and it's like literally pretending to be a foot. Like... How does the ant not notice that its foot is, like, being eaten? (laughs) I guess if you're an ant, maybe you just, like, you're like, well, I guess, like, it's acting like a foot and I can't get rid of it. So I guess this is my life now. (laughs) Like, what do you think? I'm glad that that does not happen to humans. (laughs) I mean, it's really interesting because I guess it's, like, that whole parasite thing where you don't necessarily always want to kill your host. Like, sometimes it's more beneficial to just, like keep your host alive and keep drinking its blood like yeah I guess it makes sense for the mite but man is it ever crazy and then and then there are these parasitic flies now they aren't although I'm sure there are many that parasitize the ants themselves a lot of them will actually just sort of hover around and wait for the fleeing prey to reveal themselves and then these flies will sort of fly up to prey and lay their larvae in their skin. Some will even jab these harpoon-shaped eggs complete with like sticky barbs into the flesh of the host where the larva will develop and eat the host from the inside out. Other flies will find dead or dying insects around the raid where they can lay their eggs and larva inside. So it's just a bloodbath for (laughs) everyone involved. (laughs) Bad place to be if you're a bug. Yeah, it it sounds like a really kind of important part of the ecosystem. Like it sounds like a lot is sort of relying on them. Oh, they're so important. Like, a single colony can have hundreds of species associated with them. All these creatures have evolved to live amongst the ants, thriving off the success of the species and the success of this behavior. Over time, the colony will get so big that it has to just split. But first, they have to choose a new queen for the colony. So usually this involves young queens competing in feats of strength until one defeats the rest in like this epic ant game of thrones. And then she'll take half the colony with her and march on to like a new horizon victoriously. So, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's, It's quite a story. That's amazing. And so I know you said that the Indiana Jones movie was not so accurate, does that mean they they could not actually hurt Kate Blanchett or do do <laughs> ants do these army ants sometimes hurt humans? It seems like they are unlikely to eat your flesh and drag you into their nest, especially cuz they don't have nests, but they can sting apparently and it does hurt, but that's like about it. Some might have sharp mandibles and then they like might cut you, but It's not that bad. Like, you'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I still would not like to run into one. Still, like, apparently they will, like, crawl over people if you're, like, sleeping on the ground. (laughs) Which is, I like bugs, but that's a little too much for me. It's a no from me. (laughs) It's a lot of bugs. (laughs) Like, they won't do anything to you, but, like, ugh. Well, is there anything else you wanted to talk about in this episode? Or are we saving everything for... For the final installment. (laughs) We have one more thing because I don't really know how to like organically pull this into the next episode. But let's just talk more about scary ants. But this time the scary ants are dead. We have ant fossils and it appears that ants probably existed since 150 million years ago. 
early ants trapped in amber and some imprint ant records show ants that look a lot like those we see today, including some really cool ants called hell ants, which looked quite a lot like the ants in our backyard, but they had these bizarre head ornamentations. Some had these like curving fork-like mandibles that pointed upwards, and those were used to catch prey, and then they'd pin it against their forehead where there's like this horn sticking out. So they'd like catch the prey and like impale it against their own head. Very intense. But it's also interesting just from like a mechanics point of view because today ant mandibles move horizontally, not up and down. And in fact, there's like pretty much only one other type of insect, I believe, that has up and down moving jaws. That's not probably not very interesting to most of our listeners, but it is to me as a nerdy entomologist. I'm like, ah, that's kind of weird. But scientists want to know whether these ants also shared another important similarity with their modern descendants. Did they live in a colony? And we aren't really sure. So the hell ants show some hints that they may have been part of a colony. For one, some hell ants have been found with remnant wing nubs, suggesting that their wings were torn off. Now today, some male ants will tear off their own wings or allow worker ants to tear them off in order to fit in a colony to mate with the colony's queen. And then the queen will rip her own wings off after mating. So lots of like ripping off limbs here, but that might be some indication that they were social, that they had a colony. The other thing is these fossilized hell ants show evidence of a metapleural gland, which is what secretes chemical signals that today help ants communicate with other members of the colony. But this is the problem is we almost always find hell ants alone in amber specimens, whereas other species of ant found at that time can be found in groups. So while we might not be sure of the details of social behavior in ancient ants, it seems like some form of social behavior was definitely around, but maybe not in hell ants. That's so interesting. I never even thought of kind of that question, but of course you can, if you find ant fossils, then you can start to start to try to figure out like when these behaviors actually evolved. That's so cool. Yeah, and it's so cool that we have, we just have them preserved in amber. Like, that is so amazing to me. And you look at these pictures of the ants and they, like, literally look like regular ants, but they're 150 million years old. (laughs) They're so old. Oh, it's so cool. But yeah, that's that's Ants Part 2, The Resistance. Hope you liked (laughs) it. Hope it made you happy not to be an ant. And it's very important to me that you tell all your friends an ant fact this week. I know I sure have. I've been very annoying about the ant facts. So... (laughs) Uh, It would just make my life all the better knowing that ant facts were being spread across the planet, much like a giant raid of army ants. So here are some of my suggestions for ant facts to share. One, ants participate in larvae kidnapping. That's kind of crazy. Two, some of those larvae grow up in their kidnapper's nest where they care for the kidnapper's brood and they instinctively sabotage the ant babies by being so bad at caring for them that like two thirds of them will die. That, That's a good fact. Number three, (laughs) there are ants that basically exist to be living storage containers and their sister ants will tickle their antenna to get them to spit their gut contents into their mouth. Number four, army ants take the saying, home is where the heart is, quite literally, by building a house out of the living bodies of their siblings. So those are my ant facts. That's what I think you should take home today. 
Those are amazing ant facts. I have learned so much and I can't believe that there's still like a whole third part coming. Like we haven't even gotten to the flying, like the gliding ants. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, you guys. I didn't (laughs) know about these ants. It's like, I didn't even have them in my original notes, but I kind of stumbled across them. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. We we have so much more. Like, I think next episode, we're going to do sort of like assorted bizarre ants that do weird stuff. It's just, oh, you're going to be peppered with weird ants. I already have questions, but I'm going to like hold them for next week. But flying ants do freak me out, I have to say. So I'm, I'm interested to talk about it. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you so much, Olivia. Just again, just this is J.J. Abrams worthy content. Oh, thank you. In my opinion. (laughs) Minus the lens flares. Yes. And thanks everyone so much for listening. Make sure to tune in next week for our last installment of Ants and to find out what pun we choose for the title. And to find out if we actually can fit it into just one or if it becomes a four part (laughs) series. As often happens with trilogies. (laughs) Yeah. It'll be like the prologue. Yeah. Except not. (laughs) And of course, don't forget to check out our merch store at etsy.com slash shop slash beyond blathers to help support the show. And follow us on Instagram and Twitter at beyond blathers. Tune in next week to learn more about the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. Bye. Bye. Bye.